good morning, everyone. Glad to see everyone and everyone at home on their sofas or in bed or wherever you are watching us. If you're in bed, please don't fall asleep. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer, shall we? Well, Father God, as we continue our series on 2 Samuel and this most interesting of books, I think, and this most interesting of characters, David, and uh, this most faithful of servants, but most flawed of men, who teaches us about our own flaws and our own our own flawed service of you. Lord, it's such an interesting character to study during this time in which we live. Lord, we live in such a self-righteous time, with such a self-righteous generation. We are a people who cannot help but point out the flaws of others. We love to point out the speck in others' eyes, all the while ignoring the log in our own. We love to look at other generations, pretending that if we were in those generations, we would somehow be better, forgetting that we have learned the lessons of the past or maybe even failed to have learned the lessons of the past. Lord, we're all sinners, and this book shows us that. Lord, I pray that as we continue to study this book, that you would open our hearts and minds to who we are, that you would shatter the illusions of what we are, that you would help us to see ourselves for what we are, that you would help us to see our people for what they are. Lord, that you would help us to be people who repent of what we are, that you would help us to be people who witness and share the good news of Jesus Christ. We cannot be better on our own. We can only be better in you. Father, close our ears to any error that I may speak this morning. Open our hearts and minds to the word that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So my question for you all this morning is, how often do you pray? Would you consider yourself a prayer warrior or a prayer midget? Right? A prayer coward? Prayer giant? Mighty in prayer? Do you pray every day? Once a day? Twice a day? Three times a day? Do you pray on occasion? Do you only pray when you come to church? Do you pray liturgically, like when we're here, that's the only way you know how to pray? Can you pray on your own? Do you only pray simple children's prayers? God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food I ate. Is that the extent of your prayer life? Or do you pray deeply? Do you pray with your children when they go to bed? Have you taught your children how to pray? Have you been taught how to pray? Prayer is an interesting thing. It's something that I've uh, thought about quite a bit. I wouldn't classify myself as a prayer warrior. I think in a lot of ways I'm a, a jack of all trades, a master of none. There are certain things 
I'm good at and certain things I'm not. Um, my wife is particularly good at prayer. Uh, Paul and Suzanne are particularly good at prayer. I've seen others who are particularly strong prayer warriors. I think Chris Cairns is a particularly good, Father Cairns is a particularly good prayer warrior. Uh, Trung here is a particularly good prayer warrior. I've known a lot of people who are particularly talented, and that is their special gift. I've seen people who can just pray for hour upon hour. I have a lot of admiration for those people. I do pray quite a bit. Are you a prayer warrior? Have you ever learned how to pray? You see, through my time as a pastor, I've had the privilege of of being at a lot of folks' homes, and, and as a youth minister before that. And oftentimes when I go to people's homes, they ask me to pray. That's kind of an occupational hazard. Uh, sometimes I like doing that. Sometimes I don't like doing that. A lot of times I like to hear how other people pray. And I'll be at a lot of homes, and I'll hear some simple prayers, like God is good, God is great, thank you for the food we ate. And, it, and that's a simple thing. And a lot of times families are just teaching their children how to pray, and that's admirable. I like that. And sometimes I'll hear some deeper prayers. A lot of times I'll be at people's houses and, and we're praying over something in their lives or I'll be at hospital beds or, or I'll go in and we want to pray for something deeper and I'll notice that people are really struggling for the words to say. They don't really know how to pray. So when things really hit the fan, when life gets messy, and I like to be blunt with people, uh, I'm kind of a rough edge pastor, so in here there's sometimes children, and I know online there are, so I'm not as rough edge as I like to be when I really preach. You really heard me. I'm a lot rough edge. I always laugh where God puts me sometimes. I often think I'd love to preach more with biker gangs and stuff like that. I was preaching one time at my old church, St. Clement's, and, and uh, the, the married couple, I'll never forget, picked a passage from Song of Solomon that had, was a very, very racy passage. And so I preached it. I'll never forget that this side was all like homeschool parents that had raised their kids and really solid Christians. And uh, this particular passage was a racy sexual passage. Let me just put it that way. And this side were all pagans who had never been to church. And I preached that as it should be preached. This side was read and embarrassed the entire time. And this side came up to me afterwards and said, we've never heard that. We're interested in the gospel of Jesus. Because they heard it bluntly preached. We didn't know that the church could think that way about sex. When you pray, do you pray honestly? And are you raw with the Lord? When you pray with others, are you raw with them? Or do you think that you have to approach the Lord with these and thys and thous and adding those? I've been with people who do that. I was once with a priest who had to preach in a British accent. He was American. I sat in the congregation, astonished, it was at a seminary, and everyone else marveled, and I, never mind what I thought. Do you think God is impressed by flowery words? I used to be in Campus Crusade where we would sit in this group, and every 
every Wednesday we would come in and pray, and that's where I learned to pray. And all they would do, and that's what I've instructed our prayer team here to do, is they would have a sheet, and they would put it on the floor, and they would pray. They wouldn't talk. They wouldn't discuss. You just came in. You sat down. You read the sheet, and you prayed. Because I found that when Christians sit and discuss, before long, in a one-hour prayer session, they spend 55 minutes talking and five minutes praying. So all they would do is sit and pray, and I learned how to do it. And at first I was bored out of my mind, but eventually I learned how to pray. I just sat and I prayed, and that's all that happened. We prayed. It was kind of an interesting thing. We learned how to pray. And over time, as a Christian, and I've been a Christian for quite a while at that point, well, as a kid, I've been a Christian for about seven years, but I understood that some people were really flowering into their language, and I saw that when they were flowering into their language, it did something to the new believers. They stopped praying because they were intimidated. They thought the Lord had to be spoken to in that way. So what I found over time then is that some people aren't praying because they don't know how to. They're new Christians. Some people aren't praying because they've been Christians for a while, but especially if you've been an Anglican, you've only learned how to pray in a prayer book style, and you've never thought about praying on your own. Christians, you need to be praying on your own. Thomas Cramner gave us the prayer book, and the prayer book's been passed down through generations, not because that's the only way we're supposed to pray, right? But because it teaches us the rhythm and the nature of prayer, teaches us how to pray. You're supposed to be praying on your own. Some people don't pray because they're spiritually lazy. Is that you? Are you lazy? Some people don't pray because they don't really take their faith that seriously. I know those people. If you're the kind of person who shows up to church, not during COVID, of course, if you're watching, that's okay. But if you're the kind of person who's shown up to church once a month, once every two, three, four, five months, just paying God his dues, are you taking your faith very seriously? Is God just kind of an afterthought to you? Are you reading your Bible during the week? Are you praying during the week? Are you making a difference for Jesus? Or are you just like paying your homage to the man on occasion? Why is that? Do you believe in the power of prayer? Prayer can be a powerful thing, but how do we pray? How in the world do we pray? Well, let's dig in and find out. In 2 Samuel 7, and with Jesus in our gospel this morning. Notice right off the bat how David responds to God's promises from last week's sermon. Uh, and last week's sermon was on 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17. So if you haven't read that, I encourage you to read that. Remember, that was one of the most important passages, one of the most important passages in all of the Old Testament. So please read that if you have not. So based on God's promises to David that he's going to make his kingdom an eternal kingdom, which is really a prophecy of the coming Savior, Jesus Christ, David now responds. And this is how David, the King David, who's going to make all these mistakes in his life, this is how David responds. Now, now, if you're in my first Samuel Bible study, right, or our first Samuel Bible study, um, you're going to see a very different, uh, Sarah and Nathan are going to be picking up on this. Uh, no, is it the Pickles are doing this, or is it, no, sorry, the Deatons are picking this up. Sorry, excuse me, Victoria and Jonathan are picking this up. 
Uh, Jonathan, who learned about his namesake, and so he's going to be picking up on his namesake this week. Uh, so they're going to be picking this up, sorry, this week. Um, if you've been on that study, you learn that Saul was a very, King Saul, the first king, was a very, had a very different reaction to the Lord's promises. He rebels against God. David, now the next king, we're kind of sinking and paralleling here, has a very different reaction because he's a godly king. And this is what David does. Saul rejects the Lord. David responds in this fashion, right? It's helping your Bible study. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Why is he sitting? And he says this, Who am I, Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is the instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Now, David doesn't respond by running to a prayer book. He doesn't look for some prearranged prayer. Notice that. Nor does he pray some simplistic, childish, God is good, God is great, thank you for this food I ate, or thank you for this pledge, you, whatever rhymes with pledge. He doesn't say that. He comes in and he sits before the Lord. He doesn't stand. He doesn't kneel. He sits. Now, why in the world, you say, Jeff, wouldn't he kneel? Because David plans to stay a while. Look, there are all kinds of different postures you can do when you're praying. But here's one basic thing. Now, David comes in and he sits before the Lord. He gets comfortable. David's about to pray. If you've been with us for our Good Friday service, where it's like if you come for the pre-service, the, the seven last words, and then the service, it's like a, a four-hour service or three- to four-hour service, depending on how long you're here. You're not going to be kneeling that whole time. You're not going to be standing that whole time. You're going to be sitting and moving around. And one of the things I've found when I'm going to pray with other believers, like if I'm gathering with other believers for a long time, we're going to pray for a while, or I'm praying by myself, I'm going to get comfortable. And that's one of the rules for praying. This is one of the things I would pass on to you. I might sit for a while. I might stand. I might lay down. There's all, or I might kneel. There's all kinds of different postures for praying. But if you're going to be praying for a while, you need to be in different postures. Look, one of the postures for praying is laying on our face. That's when you're really kind of begging for God's forgiveness. Right? Now, some priests, when they get ordained, will lay on their face and a sign of humility, right? A sign of dying or giving it all up to the Lord. You may kneel when you pray. That is a good position for prayer. That's what we Anglicans do. We also can stand before the Lord because Christ gives us the ability to stand in His presence. But when I'm praying long-term, I'm not really worried about those positions. What I'm worried about is praying to the Lord and entering into a deep state of prayer. And so what I'm worried about is those things that keep me in that position. And so when I'm praying to the Lord, if I need to walk and pray, I walk and pray. If I need to drive and pray, I drive and pray. If I need to sit and pray, I sit and pray. If I need to be in church and pray, I call Scott and tell him to drive up. From no. I ask someone to open the church, and I come into the church, and I sit and I pray. 
or I walk, or I lay down. I do whatever I have to do to pray. And that's what David's doing here. He's sitting and he's praying. He comes in and he says, Oh, Lord God! And he prays. Notice what he does then. His words aren't fancy. They're honest and simple. Oh, thy God, thouest God. He doesn't speak in King James English. The next time you hear someone say, the King James Bible is the Bible, first you say, well, then come on to the Anglican Church because it's an Anglican Bible. (laughs) I love to tell that to my Baptist friends who are King James only. But he doesn't speak that way. He speaks in Hebrew. That's a shocker. But he speaks simply to the Lord. That's what he does. He prays honestly. You need to speak simply to the Lord. Pray honestly. What are you really thinking? God isn't fooled. He knows you better than you know yourself. David says it. He says, you're an awesome God. Who am I that you should do this? Notice that David is a king. He's a mighty conqueror. And even he, with all of his success, knows that he is nothing without God. You cannot approach God in a spirit of arrogance. Don't do it. He will humble you. God is not interested in the prayers of an arrogant person. He is not impressed with you. An arrogant person is like the proudest snail in the slime pit. You're not impressive. You aren't. Second Samuel 7.21 Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about this greatness to make your servant know it. He recognizes who God is in his prayer, and then he recognizes and praises God for what he has done. This is another step in our prayer, 2 Samuel 7, 22. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God. There is none like you. There is no God besides you, according to all that you have heard with our ears. Praising God, then, is another important step in our prayer. It reminds us of who God is, and God desires to hear it from us. He doesn't desire to hear it because of his vanity. He desires to hear it because it's an expression of love, just like your wife or your husband or your children desire to hear your love for them. It's an expression of our love for God. God is love. We are to live in love. Agape. Philia. We are to live in that love. We express it. But also, he expresses that because he understands that he is coming before a being so mighty that he spoke and the universe is. We were talking in our Bible study before, why is God invisible? Because we cannot see a being that is omnipresent and that exists in a spectrum of light that is all over. There's spectrums of light that we can't even see. And God is there. We can't see a being that is that vast. We cannot see a being that is that grand. And he is so big that he spoke and the sun was. And not only that sun, every sun that is. And he can wipe you out with the mere wisp of a thought. 
And so David knows that. He enters into God's presence with humility, and he says, oh God, and he worships and he praises because you are entering into the presence of a king. And then David goes on in a particular prayer to recount all that God has done for his people. Why? Because we need to remember that. We need to remember what God has done. There are times in our lives, and we don't always have to pray like this. This is just one way to pray, by the way. But there are times in our lives that we need to pray like this. When we definitely need to recount all the good things that the Lord has done for us and for our line. To thank Him and to remind ourselves that we are ju- not just creatures of the here and now. But we are creatures, people, of a long line of people. That the Lord's goodness to us has extended generations. We are quick to forget it. You are the product of a line of people that goes all the way back to the first person at the beginning of the earth. Have you thought about that? All of us in our lines have great tragedies and great successes. The Lord has done much to get you here at this point right now. Our generation is so small. We're not the only generation that's like that. But we have such blinders on. We think about the here and now. That's what's particularly arrogant about the culture we live in right now that's passing judgment on all other generations as if we are so sophisticated and so great that if we were back in what particular time, we would be better. But every generation has failings. Our generation has failings. How many babies do we murder every single year and we act like we're superior? That's just for starters. We blame them for slavery, but we have sex slavery right now. Human sex trafficking. There's slavery that exists in the world right now in Africa. And that's just some of the damage that's going on. There's violence all over. There's sin all over. There's wickedness all over. We need to remember, though, that God has gotten us here through a line of blessings. In my line, I don't know all of my line, but I know in one line, it's been pastors, doctors and some politicians, but a line of pastors that's stretched back for 400 years. 400 years. I didn't just get here on my own. How many prayers went into this generation? How many prayers went into your generation? And that's what David remembers. All that God has done for Israel. How did they get here? This didn't just happen. 2 Samuel 7.25-26 Now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do as you have spoken, and your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. Confirm or do what you have promised based on all that you have done. No, Lord, notice the depth of this prayer. When you pray to God, pour out your heart. Do it sincerely. And when you pray deeply, it's a time of contemplation on what the Lord has done. In the past, what he's done in the past, and what he's doing now. 
Notice the bluntness and the honesty and yet the humility with which David approaches the Lord. Notice all of this in this prayer. Now let's switch to another person who's praying. The Son of God. When Jesus prays in our passage in John 17, notice that he too approaches with brevity and honesty and straightforwardness. Only in his prayer, he's praying not for thanksgiving. He's praying for a different reason. He's praying for others. He's praying for his disciples after he dies. Now, he too prays for himself. A lot of Anglicans I hear, I don't ever pray for myself. That's absurd. You're supposed to pray for yourself. Don't fall into that trap. If Jesus prays for himself, you should pray for yourself. That's just utter foolishness. That's not humility. John 17, 9. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Notice that. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those whom you have given me. Jesus' prayer is specific. I hear so many people praying for stupid things. I don't pray for world peace. I want to pray for world peace and for happiness and everyone gets a Coke. That's a Beatles song. The Beatles are stupid. Oh my gosh, I listen to that all the time. People even want to make a Beatles song the national anthem. I want to roll my eyes and vomit. That's not going to happen. Why? We know why it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen until Jesus comes again and sin and death are conquered once and for all. There will not be world peace until Jesus comes. Why? Because sin is in the world. Jesus prays specifically, and that's how we need to pray. We need to pray specifically for world, for people, for individuals, and that's what we pray for, right? We pray specifically for individuals, specifically for things. And that's what Jesus is praying for. These prayers... Should be for, like Jesus says, his disciples. But your prayers could be for your children, for your friends or family, for your neighbors or whoever you know. John 17, 15 to 19. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So his prayer is for their faith walks. That when he leaves and he ascends into heaven, that the Father will protect them and grow them and use them mightily. Do you pray for your children, for your spouse, for others to come to Jesus? Do you pray for them to grow in the Lord? If not, you should be. See, Jesus is showing us that we need to develop the habit of not only praying for those who are in charge of discipling, but praying specifically for their growth and protection from the Lord. We need to pray for their calling into ministry and their future spouse. Do you pray for them? This is specific prayer. 
You need to think about the things that you're specifically praying for others. And that's what Jesus is doing in John 17. It's different from David. David's thinking. Jesus is saying specifically these things. And that's why deep prayer. Right? That's what he's doing. I even journal these things sometimes. I think you can write them down. You can chart them. You can see when God answers. Because a lot of times we'll forget. And you need to go back and you need to remember, does God answer these prayers? Praying for their calling to ministry. Keep these prayers simple. Notice the straightforward plea to God. Like David, Jesus engages God in conversation. It doesn't have to be complex. It shouldn't. So this week, in your prayer life, this is all you need to do. If you haven't prayed much, those of you at home and those of you here, try doing this. Just do it five minutes a day. That's a good start. Five minutes a day. Pray these prayers. Just pray to the Lord. Thank him for who he is. Praise him. Talk with him. Pray for the church. Pray for your children and their growth in the Lord. Pray for your needs. Pray for other concerns. Maybe even write them down. And then see what the Lord does. That's it. Try that. Very simple. Start to become people of prayer. Amen.